Has anyone ever heard of uh, David Wilkerson? Has anyone heard of him? He um, was a country preacher in the USA from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, one of those places. And he went to New York. He felt like the Lord had called him to bring gang members to Christ in New York. And he ended up starting that organisation called Teen Challenge. And a lot of us have heard of Teen Challenge and they do fabulous things. And um, so he went to New York and initially got himself into all sorts of trouble. <laughs> uh, and there's been a movie made about it called The Cross and the Switchblade, which I'm sure some people have seen. It's an older movie now. Uh, it would have been made in the 70s. Um, but the story is, it's a true story. And it's, even though the acting is old and the music is old, the music is actually fabulous. I love that movie. Just the music's a very, very cool thing. And um, from the movie starts with this switchblade. I don't know if anyone knows what switchblades are. They're illegal. But it starts with this, and the blade pops out, and then the drums start. And the next thing, there's a gang fight happening right on the screen. So it really gets your attention. You're into the story. And it's these gangs in New York that, the, you know, they were each trying to control their turf. And, and uh, it's into that world that David Wilkerson felt like the Lord had called him to preach the gospel. And he's in that world, and it's a crazy world, and he's trying to meet gang members, and they're threatening his life. And, and uh, if you were going to do that, you'd need the Lord's help, right? <laughs> Wouldn't you think? It's, it's not something you could just do on your own. And, um, but the Lord was with that man, and the, he had the Lord's help. And that story, The Cross and the Switchblade, is an amazing story about how the Holy Spirit brought to Christ, the worst of all the gang members, none other than Nicky Cruz. And uh, he's got his own book called Run, Baby, Run, which I've not read, but apparently is a great story too. But Nicky was so resistant to the gospel that he threatened David Wilkerson's life. And David Wilkerson was famous for having said, you could cut me up into a thousand pieces and every piece would love you. So he's, he said something like that. And um, Nicky just, um, just hated, hated the message, hated the gospel. It came down to this one moment when um, David Wilkerson, he's trying every trick in the book he can to kind of get the gospel into these people. He decides to have a gospel rally. And he has it right in the middle of these, the turf, these gang turf. These two gangs have been fighting over the turf. And they decide there's no better occasion than the rally to have their big gang fight out once and for all. They're going to all attend the rally. They're going to lock the doors, chain them closed, and no one's getting away. They're going to have a fight. Because David Wilkerson doesn't know that he's about to initiate a great gang fight. So he's preaching. <laughs> he's up the front preaching away. And as he's preaching, a marvellous thing occurs. The gospel goes into the heart of that gang member, Nicky Cruz, and he's just changed. Now, how does that actually happen? How does a person who's so antagonistic towards the things of the Lord suddenly just change? It's a miracle. There's no miracle like it in the earth when a person is changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've witnessed lots of videos online where people debate things. They debate pro-abortion, anti-abortion, or they debate oh, any number of things. You never, ever see anyone 
just suddenly be changed and, and not only agree with the other person's position, but agree with it with a full heart. It just doesn't happen. But when the Holy Spirit touches someone, they're just changed. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. So this Nikki Cruz gets the touch of the Lord in the middle of that preaching. And as the sermon's coming to an end, the other gang jumps up and they're about to have it on. And then Nikki jumps up and says, stop, there's going to be no Barney here tonight. Oh yeah, they have some term for it. Rumble, I think. There's going to be no rumble here tonight. And he becomes the preacher. The guy who knows nothing about the Bible whatsoever, he's telling all his gang members there's going to be no rumble here. How on earth does that happen? That's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in someone's life. It's, it, I've always said salvation is the biggest miracle of all. Think about you. When you were touched by the power of the Lord, did you change or what? How exactly does that happen? <laughs> you know, it's like the wonder-working power of God is out there somewhere and somehow it gets into you. Somehow. Somehow there comes just a moment when you just weaken and you let it in and you're changed. Well, Paul tells us it's the moment we believe, you know. You believe with your heart, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, you will be saved. It's the moment you just start to believe. Could it be true? The Lord jumps on that. It's like in the Hobbit story, some of you read the Hobbit story and there's that dragon flying over. The dragon's impossible to kill, but there happened to be one scale that was missing. And you know, that arrow, the bard shoots the arrow right into that one little spot. It's like you've got a chink and the Holy Spirit knows where it is. <laughs> and the minute you start to believe, in goes the Holy Spirit and he's got you and you're changed. Isn't that amazing? Well, um, when someone gets saved... There are three things at work. Now, this isn't going to be a comprehensive discussion today, but I just wanted to talk about the three things, that, the three ingredients, I guess, that are needed for someone to get saved. One of them is the actual information itself, the gospel. That's an ingredient. The another one is the gospel messenger, the person who shares the message. And in that story, that was David Wilkerson, and the third ingredient is the Holy Spirit. You've got to have all three. <laughs> and when all of those three work well, when the Holy Spirit is at work and his power is upon it, miracles happen. And um, some people try in their own strength to bring people to Christ. So they get all enthusiastic about the gospel. They go knocking on door after door after door after door. And what you've got there is maybe two of the three ingredients. You might have the messenger and you might have the message, but there's no power in it. You've got to have the Holy Spirit be a part of the equation. Or sometimes people are full of the Holy Spirit, but they just, they're not speaking properly, not speaking truth properly. Sometimes one of the ingredients are missing and it doesn't work. It's like fire. You know, with, to have a fire, you need to have those three ingredients. They always talk about that. You've got to have oxygen being one of the ingredients. And um, as well as fuel and, um, and heat, I think, is the third one. You've got to have all the ingredients in place for a fire. Well, for someone to be saved, you need these three ingredients. But all three of the ingredients need the power of the Lord in them. Now, the gospel message, as it turns out, is powerful. 
Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 13 to 17. Now, we can't, I just realised we can't pop it up there on the screen for you today. Let me read it for you. Paul was writing to the Romans, and he hadn't got to Rome yet. So this is a letter he was writing to people he hadn't, hadn't met yet. Now, he probably knew a few of them, but he hadn't been to Rome. So he's writing a letter to people he's yet to meet, and he says this. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. So Paul's really keen to go to Rome. Everywhere he goes, he brings people to Christ. He wants to go to Rome and have an effect there too. He says in verse 14, I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First the Jew and then in the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He says he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation for those who believe. The minute you believe it, it jumps into you and transforms you. It's powerful. The gospel content itself has power in it. It's not, power when, it's not powerful when you don't believe it necessarily, although even when you don't believe it, it's amazing how powerful the gospel message is at transforming even people who are resistant. But the minute you believe, the gospel jumps on you and you're changed. It's a powerful gospel message. And God is the one who authored that message. So one of the three ingredients, the gospel message, all on its own is just powerful. You don't have to manufacture the power in those, in those words. You don't have to you know, come up, you know, there's plenty of people who brought someone to Christ and they didn't even know how to do it. They didn't even know the perfect words. They just started talking about Jesus and somehow, bam, it <laughs> just worked because the Lord knows how to use those words. The words are just powerful. A lot of Christians, they're so worried about saying the right things. Can I get it right? You know, just, just love the Lord and just be full of his word and then just speak for him. The gospel message itself has plenty of power. The second ingredient, well, the second and the third ingredient kind of work together. It's the messenger and it's the Holy Spirit. And I thought we would, um, you know, think about Nicky Cruz for a minute. He's there in that crusade David Wilkerson's preaching away. The gospel itself has power. But how did those words get into him? How did that happen? It's something that the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit was at work both in Nicky and in David Wilkerson as he preached. The Holy Spirit was in work, work in both the one giving it, the messenger, and in the one receiving it, the message E. I don't know if that's the person, the one receiving the message. The Holy Spirit is at work. And I thought what we might do now for a moment is go and read something that Jesus said to his very own disciples 
in the days before he went back to heaven. So this is Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 49. And I'm going to read the slightly extended passage because I thought last Sunday was the resurrection. And in um, the typical church calendar, it would be all these weeks now that are going on after Easter that all these appearances are happening. So if we were living 2,000 years ago, it would be like this week the disciples are seeing Jesus. He's appearing to them and all of these types of appearances are going on. And um, so let's read Luke 24, verses 36 to 49. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. What they were talking about was that the two guys who'd been on the road to Emmaus, or it may have been a man and his wife, the two believers, had seen the Lord. They had bolted back to Jerusalem and they said, we've seen the Lord. And they were telling them what the Lord had said. And it was while they were talking about that that Jesus appeared there in Jerusalem. Isn't it nice how Jesus can just teleport around? <laughs> and uh, it's a handy, handy thing to have if you're Jesus. So verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I myself. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they did not believe it, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? <laughs> he said, I'm going to really show them. I'm going to eat something. <laughs> and they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. You know, the ultimate proof. I'm not a ghost. I can eat things. And um, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. In other words, don't you remember? I talked to you before about all of this. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Let's pause there for a minute. I've been going through the Old Testament the last two and a bit years, making a daily Bible video, and Jesus is everywhere. You know, he's everywhere in the Old Testament. And until you start looking for him, you don't see him. But he's literally in, like, the story of Gideon. He's in the story of Samson. He's in the story of Esther. He's, like, in every part of the Old Testament. And Christians just don't notice it. And um, I, I remembered thinking to myself, um, I, you know, because I came to this conclusion really early. Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament. But there were a few parts where I thought, I just can't see where he would be. And one of them was, I thought, where is he in the story of Esther? He can't be in the story of Esther, surely. But no, he's in the story of Esther. Are you all curious where he is? Go and watch my Esther videos. There you go. Get your curiosity up. Now go and watch my Esther videos. But you know, there are, there are parts in the Bible where Jesus is just in every single chapter. Like the story of Samson, where Samson is a terrible Old Testament example of a, of a believer. He's hardly the type of person you want to copy, but even in the life of Samson, there's an example of Jesus, where Samson, at the end of the story, he goes like this, and he gives up his life in that moment. The temple collapses, but in doing so, in giving up his life, he saves his own country of Israel by destroying all the Philistines. So you've got the, these types of examples are all through the Bible. So Samson is a picture of Jesus, even though he's not a perfect picture. Anyway... He's just everywhere in the Old Testament. And here we've got Jesus saying to his disciples, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. 
So, Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament and it's, it's really a wonderful thing when Christians know their Old Testament well. And um, think about the early Christians, they didn't even have a New Testament. So they only had an Old Testament to go off. And everywhere the preachers went, people like Peter and Paul, these people are preaching from the Old Testament everywhere. Well, you know, I'm so grateful that I've been able to work through the Old Testament like I have because I find a lot of joy in preaching out of the Old Testament. Jesus, he's in there. So Jesus, in verse 45, it says, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of this. And I am going to send you what the Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus told them before he went back to heaven, I'm sending you what the Father has promised. Stay in Jerusalem until you've been clothed in power from on high. That power that they were clothed in, that's the thing that makes the difference. <laughs> The gospel itself has power. When it can get into someone, it'll just transform them completely. But the messenger needs the power as well. And so Jesus says to his disciples, his apostles, he says to them, stay in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's coming. You're going to receive power. And he said, you're going to be, you, he says, you are witnesses of these things. Now, they were witnesses of what? Jesus died. He rose again. They're witnesses of the things that Jesus has done. But, you know, just being witnesses of it enough alone isn't enough. You would think to yourself, if, oh, if I had seen Jesus die and rise from the dead, if I had seen it with my own eyes, then I could really be a good witness for Jesus. But that wasn't enough. Jesus said to them, you are witnesses of these things, but wait. Stay in the city. I'm sending you the gift I promised you're going to receive power. That's the thing that makes the difference. Without that power, people will resist. But when the power is at work, <laughs> it makes a difference. And that's when the miracle of salvation will be at work in the lives of people. Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And we're going to turn there and we're just going to read the first um, eight verses of that. And uh, it's going to say a similar type of thing, but just in different words. Luke writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven and giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, which included eating fish. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them a command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. In other words, we'll talk about that another time. That's a subject for another day. But, get back on topic, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in verse 5, he says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he says to them, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit's power to be witnesses, you know, everywhere you go. So you've got these three ingredients, the gospel, which is one, and it's, there's, there's power in the gospel. But the messenger is supposed to have power on him or her as well. And Jesus told his early apostles, don't go anywhere, but wait. That gift is coming. If that gift didn't come, we probably wouldn't be here today. In fact, it's probably safe to say we wouldn't be here. There'd be no churches in the world. But you, you, they, couldn't fight, they couldn't have succeeded with that message without the Holy Spirit's help. But they had the Holy Spirit's help. And things started to happen. So on the day of Pentecost, which was 10, 10 days, so after Jesus ascended, it was 10 more days that they waited for the Holy Spirit. They stayed in Jerusalem 10 more days. They didn't know how long it was going to be. Uh, Jesus didn't say, wait for 10 more days. He didn't give them a time period. He just said, stay in the city. They didn't know how long. And it just so happens that the Holy Spirit fell miraculously on the day of Pentecost. <laughs> we think of the day of Pentecost as this day the Holy Spirit fell, but there was, you know, there was the ancient Jewish calendar of all the feasts, and the Lord was just marvelously lining everything up with symbols and things he'd already put in the Old Testament. So the day of Pentecost was a day of harvest. It, the symbol of harvest was there in the Old Testament. You know, Jesus died at the day of Passover, and then the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. All of these were Old Testament things that had been established. The symbols were amazing. And I imagine if the Jews, if the, these apostles had their heads screwed on, they might have even been discussing amongst themselves, I wonder if the Holy Spirit's going to come on the day of Pentecost. We don't know what they discussed. We're just conjecturing. But I wouldn't be surprised if they were discussing these types of things. You know, it's going to be Pentecost in 10 more days. or It's going to be Pentecost next week. I wonder if God's going to do anything. Wouldn't surprise me at all if they suspected it. But yes, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell and there was a harvest. 3,000 people came into the church because the power of the Holy Spirit was at work in those witnesses. It's amazing. And we often think of the day of Pentecost as being the day that, you know, we often think of it in terms of spiritual gifts, like, oh, because of Pentecost, I can speak in tongues. Because of Pentecost, I can, you know, gifts of the Spirit. That's how we often think of it. But the, the 12 disciples, the apostles, that's not what Jesus said to them. He didn't say, wait, and you're going to receive the gift of tongues. Wait, and you're going to receive the gifts of the Spirit. He didn't say that to them. He said, you're going to receive the gift that my Father has promised. So the gift wasn't something the Holy Spirit was going to do in you. The gift was the actual Holy Spirit. Do you know what I'm trying to say? We often are trying to receive a thing that the Holy Spirit can do in us, but the gift is the, act the actual Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's God himself. You, know, you want the actual Holy Spirit, and when you've got the Holy Spirit in you, he's going to do other things through you. And one of those marvellous things is that you'll find there's power on you as a witness, as well as, no doubt, speaking in tongues and other things as well. So these early believers, they had a powerful message. 
the gospel has power. They had a powerful Holy Spirit living within them, and he caused them to be powerful messengers. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up and preached, 3,000 people right then in that moment were convicted. In other words, the gospel went right into their hearts on that day, and they were changed. In that moment, they were changed. And they said, brothers, what must we do to be saved? Like, if you read the Luke, you know, Acts chapter 2, there wasn't like an altar call. Like, Peter doesn't say, if you want to be saved today, come on out the front. He doesn't get to that point. These 3,000 people have already realized, we need the Lord, what can we do? They're the ones that are asking what can be done about this. So you can see when the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, you don't need the altar call. Now, sometimes in our churches, the Holy Spirit's on people, but they're sitting politely in their pews, not knowing what to do. And they're not going to yell out in the middle of the service, what must I do to be saved, or anything equivalent. So often altar calls are helpful, because then it's their chance to come out the front, or whatever. But it's amazing how many Bible stories, it's the person who's hearing it who says, I've just got to get myself right with God, how do I do that? It comes from them. You know, when Paul was in that prison and there was the earthquake, and the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? You know, the Holy Spirit touched him. Paul didn't even get a chance to share the crucial steps of salvation. You know, it's when the Holy Spirit gets upon someone, it, they, it just does something. It's amazing, and it's wonderful. Now, um, in a minute, in a few minutes, we're going to actually pray this morning and ask the Holy Spirit to give us that gospel power because we want to be witnesses that witness with the Holy Spirit's power. And when you do that, you don't have to be worried about doing a perfect job. You're obviously going to do the best job you can, but it's not like a TED Talk where you've got to have it all polished and perfect, and if you don't get it perfect, someone's not going to be saved. It's not like that because you've got the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit will just use your best effort and turn it into something marvellous because he's good like that and he loves people more than you do. So we just need to get the Holy Spirit at work in us and do our best. And um, years ago, when I was in Mount Morgan, this would have been 19, I don't know, 1999, 2000, something like that, I decided I was going to fast for a week. I can't remember why I was fasting for a week. I think it was just for salvations in Mount Morgan or something like that, for revival. When I got to the seventh day, um, and I was really looking forward to eating again, I suddenly had a revelation that in the Bible, the disciples were waiting on the Holy Spirit for 10 days, and then the Holy Spirit fell. And I felt so either convicted or just inspired within myself, one or the other, I don't know which, that I should now continue fasting for 10 more days for the Holy Spirit to come upon me for, you know, this type of thing. So I started fasting for another 10 days. And um, I must confess to my great human weakness that I caved in on day 16. <laughs> so, you know, I fasted my week and then I was fasting my next 10 days and I got to day number nine and I was walking through the shopping fair and caved in and bought a cherry thick shake <laughs> and from Wendy's. <laughs> it looked so good. <laughs> anyway. After that, because I, I, I kind of, ra funny things happen when you're fasting. You start rationalizing all sorts of things. Oh, thick shakes are not food. That's a drink, you know. Started rationalizing all sorts of crazy things in my brain. 
And uh, then later on that night, I thought, oh, I failed. I might as well eat now. And then I just had a meal. I don't know if anyone's ever done that type of thing. I failed, you know. But it's funny how the Lord is so gracious. It's amazing how the Lord is so kind even when you fail. And all along, all I've wanted was for the Holy Spirit to come upon me to help me be a better witness and for people to get saved. And that's what I wanted. And I felt like at the time I'd failed so miserably and let the Lord down. But the thought occurs to me in hindsight, he so helped me. You know, I didn't have this like magical feeling of the Holy Spirit coming upon me. It wasn't like, you know, Popeye, you know, he eats his can of spinach and suddenly becomes this clearly different superhuman strength character. None of that. You just feel miserable. Well, in my case, I just felt miserable and weak and like a terrible failure. And I think for many people, and plenty of other times I fasted and you get to the end of a three-day fast or something and you don't feel very special, you don't feel like magically empowered, but it's, it's a lie for you to, to think you have to have a magical feeling of empowerment to actually have the Holy Spirit's power at work in you. Because as I look back on it all in hindsight, I brought a lot of people to the Lord. And all the while I felt pretty normal. I, did, I never ever had a feeling of like, I'm this like superhuman person who's witnessing for Christ and golly, they're going to get saved because I've got the Holy Spirit. I was just me, just being me. And sometimes I said dumb things, probably plenty of times. But as I look back on it, people got saved. So it's so weird. I don't even know how it happened. It's, it always amazes me when someone gets saved because it's just unexpected. You know, it's like one minute you're trying to convince someone that they need the Lord, the next thing they're receiving him. Like, how does that happen? It's so odd. It's clearly got nothing to do with your abilities as a person. And um, it's clearly got everything to do with the fact that we have an amazing God. And so, uh, you know, in Mount Morgan, I brought people to Christ. I brought people to Christ in the street, just witnessing in the streets. I brought people to Christ in church on Sundays. You know, that's what pastors do. They preach, people get saved. That happens in church brought someone to Christ once by yelling at them and shoving a heater in their face. That was unexpected. Um, I found out later, I thought at the time that I just lost, my, lost control of my feelings because that particular lady, I had been witnessing to her for like weeks, 10 or 12 weeks. I'd been sharing the gospel with her every single week. And this one Sunday, I just lost control of my feelings, grabbed a heater that was there, shoved it up in her face and said, hell was 40,000 times hotter than this. And she said, I need the Lord. And, um, you know, I thought at the time I'd just, you know, lost control of my feelings. But I found out later that there's a a term for that. It's called the unction of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) See, I learnt that from John Wimber by watching John Wimber videos. He said, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you just do something you didn't expect. He said, that's called the unction. He said, in the moment you'll have a feeling to do something really weird. He said, just do it. Well, see, I didn't know that, that that was the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know that until I watched the John Wimber video like 20 years later. But that must surely have been the Holy Spirit doing something, right? Couldn't be anything else. I would not naturally be the type of person to grab a heater and shove it in someone's face. You know, you know me. I don't do those types of things. That's so random and unpredictable. 
And I think in most cases, you don't have to do weird things like that. And if you thought you had to, it wouldn't work. If you thought, I've got to go around grabbing heaters and shoveling them in people's faces, you'd just cause a lot of pain and problems everywhere you go. It wouldn't work. <laughs> I've never tried it again, and I don't have any plans to. <laughs> so yeah, I brought that lady to the Lord that one day. I mean, how else does a person go from resisting the Holy Spirit to suddenly in a moment saying, I need the Lord? You know, how does that happen? That's the Holy Spirit when he's at work in someone's life. And it's a miracle. And then I ended up bringing all those thousands of people to the Lord on the internet. I'm still amazed at how that happened. And all the while, I felt very normal. It was no different to just living a regular life, making your cup of tea in the morning, going sitting down at the computer, writing an email to someone. Their life has changed. It's just so normal. And yet, it's not normal. So we're going to pray in a minute. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you to be witnesses. You're going to believe by faith to receive that gift of the Holy Spirit because he's going to help you be witnesses. And don't expect to feel any different. But if you do, great. If you feel like Popeye and your muscles start bulging out in the Spirit, terrific. But if you don't, it doesn't matter because that's not how it all works. The Holy Spirit doesn't need you to have any feelings to do anything and I can't think of any examples that I brought someone to the Lord where I did feel special, not even one. I can think of plenty of examples where I was shocked that they got saved because I had no faith that it would actually, be, would actually work. And that's the amazing thing of the Lord is he just loves people so much that your weakest human failing effort, your fraction of faith, you could have a 1% of a 1% of faith that's all he needs. And the Lord will, will do the rest. He's, he's just good like that. So what we're going to do, I'm going to pray for you in a minute. And you're going to have faith. I'm not going to get the band up because I want the band to have faith as well. And to believe and receive. And um, I noticed in the story of Jesus that when he said to his disciples, wait in the city that he wasn't giving them an option. Do you realise that was actually like a command? And then in the book of Acts, he, ac he actually said, wait for, you know, he, Luke actually says he commanded them to wait. I think a lot of preaching comes across like it's an option. You know, uh, if you want to improve your marriage, do this. You know, if you want to get right with the Lord, do this. Like it comes across like it's an option, you have a choice. Did you notice Jesus didn't give his apostles an option? He said, stay in the city. Don't go anywhere. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Wait. You've got to read it like, it's, in Greek, it's what they call an imperative. You know, an imperative is something you've got no choice about. You've got to do it. And um, so I'd like to just say to you this morning that it's not like it was an imperative for those 12 apostles and it's not for you. It's not like, oh, yeah, they had to do it because Jesus said, but, you know, it's an option for me. Not actually an option for you either. You also have to receive the Holy Spirit so you will be his witnesses. It's an imperative. So I'm going to pray for you in a minute, and you're going to have faith and receive, but I'm also going to suggest, except it's not a suggestion, it's a command. It's a, not a command from me, it's a command from Christ because I'm, it's in the Bible. I'm telling you what's in the Bible. So don't say, Pastor David said I had to do it and I got no choice. No, Jesus said to do it and you've got no choice. It's in the Bible 
that you should wait for the Holy Spirit and receive. So I'm going to pray for you today, but I want you this week to take time to seek the Lord for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Some things take a little bit more than one prayer. And, um, you know, it did take 10 days after all for the disciples waiting on the Holy Spirit. We have a day of listening prayer every single week in this church. It's a Wednesday. We encourage people to come and listen. Some weeks we listen. Some weeks I'm not here and I listen. I always listen on a Wednesday, even if I'm not here. Sometimes I'm listening at home. I encourage you, if you don't have anything set aside, make Wednesday this week a day that you're going to sit in the presence of the Lord and say, give me the power that was on those disciples so that I can be a witness. And be mindful that the gift you're receiving is the Holy Spirit himself. So I'm giving you that command from the Lord and um, I want you to do something with that. Um, But right now we're going to pray and have faith. Oh, and one more thought. This was something the apostles did and it occurs to me it would therefore be an apostolic thing. When we think of things that are apostolic, we don't often think that this is apostolic. But this is something that Jesus gave to his apostles and it's almost like their first job. Once Jesus is gone, their first job is to go out and be witnesses of his resurrection and his death and all of that. So it turns out that this is apostolic. You're an apostolic people, so this is a big part of being an apostolic believer. It's getting the Holy Spirit upon you, witnessing for Christ. So, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I'm not going to try to pray a good prayer. I'm just going to be me and pray. But I ask that you would take my words this morning and make them be powerfully effective in the lives of everyone here. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that you came upon those early believers, the apostles, and you gave them the Holy Spirit, and they had power to be witnesses. And this morning I ask you to do that exact same thing here in our midst upon everyone present in the room. But I'm also mindful, Lord, that there are others in the church that are not here, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And there are also people watching online or who will watch in the future that your Holy Spirit will come upon them as I pray. So in the name of Jesus, I release the Holy Spirit to everyone who hears my voice. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Receive Pentecostal power now in the name of Jesus Christ. Receive power to witness for him and receive grace to be his witnesses. Now, Father, I ask that you take a hold of us, Lord, as weak and as human as we are, not even knowing what words to say 90% of the time. And I pray that you would use whatever words we do say for you, that your grace be upon us. And so now, Lord, I ask that you'd have your way with us, that we would be your people, we would be your children, and that we would see people coming to Christ in our city, in our families, in our nation. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Invite the band to come and we'll have a a closing song. But we're going to pray one more prayer. Um, And that's going to be a prayer for our unsaved loved ones this morning. We do that every week. Um, Haven't done it for a few weeks because we've had, um, you know, Palm Sunday and Easter things going on. We're going to do that this morning. Another big part of bringing people to Christ is actually praying for them. And... um, 
it's not our topic for today, but not only are you someone that needs to, at times, say things for the Lord, but you need 90% of what it takes to bring someone to Christ is consistent prayer for them. Even a rock with a drip of water that drips on it continually will erode away. So even the hardest heart with constant prayer will find that things start to happen, even if it takes a while. So we're going to have a prayer right now. I invite you to stand. We're going to pray for the... You know, each one of you have someone or a few people you're praying for. Bring them to mind right now and pray with faith for them. So Lord, we thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus, power in the, in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit has power. And I ask right now this morning that you would convict those people, our loved ones, our neighbours, our friends, our family, our work colleagues. You convict them of the message of Christ. Convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment, their need for a saviour. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would turn on their heart, that light would enter into their soul. I pray today that you would be at work bringing people to Christ in the name of Jesus. Amen.